Welcome to today's episode of The Growth Zone. I am Christian Bartsch. What is the core benefit of listening to this show? Business leaders in corporate and privately held companies gain insights into trends and strategies that provide them with a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Each episode focuses on areas such as marketing, sales, innovation, or funding that is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players. Where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entries or knowing how to navigate the uncertainty of disruptive developments, mind feeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode, I have a special surprise gift. I'm also working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management, innovation, and marketing. And we will be talking in the future much more about the important trends that are affecting the way we manage our companies in the demand to being sustainable, more environmentally and socially friendly, and becoming more empathic leaders. So let's get started on today's topic. This episode, we are going to look at cybersecurity risks and how it affects our businesses. It doesn't matter whether you've just started a new business or if you have a business, you've born a business, maybe you've even merging a business or trying to incubate a business. It doesn't matter. Whatever kind of business you're building, you always are in some way in today's time exposed to cybersecurity risks. Now, the key thing is we can't go and just simply ignore them or say, well, we're just too small, we're not interesting, we are a blah, blah, blah company, and come on, we're not interesting, we're boring, we're uninteresting, yeah? It doesn't matter if your business is a car repair shop or if you are a uh, large taxi company or, of course, let's say a car manufacturer, you develop software for entertainers or you're building the next big app by the moment you are just a three-man show or women show so what's the thing let's say we have to first of course understand what's happening out there how it creates risks for our business and then find reasonable solutions to that and by reasonable, I think it's mostly the first step to first mitigate the risk in a sensible way, which is enabling us to do these, let's say, blocking or whatever kind of things that we can do immediately with all the infrastructure that we already have. An infrastructure can be anything from our cloud service, from our iPhone, our firewall at home or in a business or something, whatever. Even, even your Wi-Fi in an office or a shop, repair shop, can be an entry point for attackers. And the thing is, 
Most companies don't necessarily need to be the ones who are being attacked or damaged, but they are maybe facilitating the attack, which means somebody is using your infrastructure to attack somebody else. But the thing is, you could of course say, well, they're attacking them, not me. They're just misusing my infrastructure. Okay, not my fault. Well, it is your fault because of course, in the first place, you shouldn't allow them to misuse your IT infrastructure to attack somebody else. The second, second problem, of course, is the one who's being attacked, he'll think you are attacking him. And then he will send the cops to you, lawyers, all the costs and damages and so on, and you are in trouble. So you have to then practically prove that somebody else misused your system and you are actually just a victim. The thing is, you can't just use victim mentality and, and say, okay, I'm a victim, so um, I don't need to care. Or you could, of course, go and say, I just simply go and buy a cyber insurance. Now let's think, what does a cyber security risk do? It hits us in different areas. Some areas might be mm, annoying. Let's say somebody defaces our website. It's annoying and you have to go and take a backup from your website a few days ago, a month ago. And yeah, it's okay again. But first you get the shock and fright and so on. Nevertheless, there are some other things that can be ha happening to your company, your company database, your business, or might even steal your ideas, your knowledge, your customer database, or do some quite some naughty things with your email system just in order to, let's say, remove you from the competition. That's, of course, not very nice. But what's actually the real consequence of a cybersecurity attack? Usually, you lose money, you lose revenue, you might even lose, lose um, customers, you lose employees, partners, suppliers, and maybe even your own freedom, because you absolutely neglected your duties as a business owner, as a founder, a corporate leader, whatever. And all these kind of risks, we can start mitigating with basic steps. And at a certain point, we need to go and hire either outside experts, or we go and recruit our own cybersecurity experts. Of course, the smaller the company, the more it will cost our revenue. But of course, if we go and if a small company, we can go and hire somebody from outside and let them do it for us. That's usually called the managed XR, XDR, so extended defense and response or detection and response, depending on what words people use nowadays. Uh, in different countries, they use different acronyms. But the key thing is, at a certain point, we need to do something. And first, we have to understand why we are actually at risk. Now, let's look at the things. What kind of different risks? So people can attack our website. Um, they could, of course, simply deface it, put some stupid picture of, it, of a joker on it and break it. They could put virus on it and attack our visitors. Not very nice either. Um, they could, of course, go and simply, uh, let's say, steal our customers. Let's say we have a form and somebody enters contact details. And then 
the thieves will try to somehow attack our potential leads. Take the leads away from us, not even send them to us. If somebody can make a payment online, they'll try to, of course, collect that money so that it doesn't come to our account. And an alternative is, for, of course, tell our system that people have bought lots of our products and they've paid. In fact, in reality, there's no money there. But we ship them out and somebody collects them at a certain point and then it's redistributed, sold, and other kind of criminal activities done with it. Now, okay, that, that's that's the basic thing, how we can attack a website yeah, from a basic principle or perspective. And what's the next thing? We could, of course, attack email. You can go and try to attack your email system of your company in order to do something else. The alternative, of course, would be to try to um, attack somebody else by imitating your emails and impersonating you. Can be rather nasty, whatever they do. Can even backfire on you because you didn't take your necessary precautions. And the other things, of course, what do we have? They could enter our, our network. They could break through a firewall. If you have a firewall, your router is not a firewall. Sorry, that's reality. Point number one, your router is not your firewall. A router has certain firewall activities built in, but it's not really a, a firewall because it's not designed as a firewall. It just has some basic protection things, but any good hacker gets through it with no big difficulty. So we need more than decent firewall, at least as an entry point to reduce the amount of risk. Secondly, of course, they can go and access our Wi-Fi. Whether you have a Wi-Fi at home, in your office, where's a Wi-Fi that you share with your guests, your visitors, where's a Wi-Fi maybe you have connected your phones, your TV screens, um, everything. You can connect nowadays every kind of device by Wi-Fi, conference systems, meeting systems, cordless phones, uh, Wi-Fi phones nowadays, um, even desk phones instead of having a network cable, because some offices have quite a weird um, supply of network cables, then you'd rather go into Wi-Fi and it doesn't look so messy. Just need, of course, power supply for the phone. Nevertheless, that's as well an entry point. And you must think, okay, that's where they can go in and do quite a lot of messy stuff. Yeah, can steal data. They can listen into our calls. They can even, let's say, it's like insider trading. Yeah, it's like when somebody is inside your business and finds out you are going to buy company XYZ. And they, of course, go and buy these shares ahead because they know you're going to buy that. So they immediately go and buy it somewhere and then make a huge profit because at a time when you actually go and say I'm going to pay blah 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 pounds euros for this company per share the price will go up but he already bought it a very low price and he's going to make a big profit the same thing can be with somebody who is hacking into your organization and waiting to find what's your next big acquisition and then they will buy that share and make profit. Of course, eventually, if they have enough big capital, 
this might become obvious as happened. But of course, then the questions start coming. How did the person find out about that acquisition? Hmm. Somebody tell him, the boss, an employee, the CEO, CFO, IT, who, 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 who leaked that information out? Can be nice as well, because then you maybe have the SEC, any kind of stock exchange control organizations, auditors, etc., annoying your company, especially when you're trying to put a company that's growing rapidly and very profitable and you want to actually take it public in order to be able to as well uh, start selling, having options and so on and creating real value. That's where it becomes risky. But what, what else could there be? Now, let's, let's keep it basic. Let's not suggest you are going to go public on exchange, just have a business. Let's say you manufacture items, products, machines. Well, of course, so they can enter through the firewall, through the internet, they can enter through the Wi-Fi, they can attack your website, they can enter through your email and do other kind of stuff and try to even make calls to you and suggest, oh, I'm here from support and I need to please press this button and this link, blah, blah, blah. And what next? The Trojans there. They can attack as well, of course, your phone. Yeah, listening, tapping software, cyber spionage software, and so on. There's a wide range of things that can be done if one either wants to extract money out of the company, extract information out of the company, or let's say uh, sabotage, uh, yeah, bring the company to a halt whether they go bankrupt or whether they cannot deliver products or services, uh, get them somehow broken that they cannot conduct business, yeah? At least for a certain time. And that costs money, costs customers, costs uh, revenue, trust, and so on. <clears throat> and worse, of course, is uh, leaked data where then all the customer data is stolen, which can be very nasty. At the same time, yeah, Let's say marketing campaigns. You're running a marketing campaign for your new product and so many things. Hmm. So you're giving away some goodies, yeah? P product samples. So if that person goes and sabotages your system, and let's say you're giving away um, a thousand product items, I mean, a thousand items of a certain new product, and each product might be 50 pounds worth, let's say. You're trying to push this product into the market. And then somebody goes and says, hmm, if I hack the system, I could get, okay, not, not the thousand items, but <laughs> I don't have space. But even if they go and take, let's say, 200, 500 of these items, they can go and take them later on, once you have actually launched and the product on the market, has a nice high retail price, you can go and sell them. Of course, hacking is one thing. Getting the product is another thing. Not getting caught is another thing as well. But there are plenty of people who try this stuff and, yeah, they do all sorts of crazy stuff. And some just simply want to sabotage and send the products to anywhere around, but not to those customers who are actually going to buy our products. So that's as well a way to hurt us. Now, as you 
I've realized now there are different kinds of ways to attack. Um, that's the thing. It's, it's not just about stealing data and so on. They can sabotage our marketing activities, our sales activities. Yeah, like for instance, attacking uh, when we're currently doing a deal. We're currently negotiating to sell a certain product, a certain system. And then somebody goes and hacks our system. They find out we're doing this deal. They go and tell a competitor who's maybe not quite clean in their business ethics and suggest to them that they'll pay them uh, or will, let's say the competitor offers them to pay them several thousand pounds, dollars, euros for that secret. So, of course, what does the hacker do? He finds out that your company is trying to offer their product at a certain price. Yeah. So what does this company do? They know now their price. And then in that tender or whatever, they are going to go and offer their product below your price. And only then they're going to hurt you. They either get the contract from you or they would even go and hire the attacker to do it as well as all other activities where you and the company are more or less bidding for the same kind of product or business. So which would mean that eventually the other side would dry your business up. Because each time you're competing, each time you lose. You don't get the business. And they get it. And what's the objective? It's not just about getting the business. Even if they're making losses, they're going to do it. Why? Because when you go bankrupt, insolvent, leave the industry, leave the market, they have the market to themselves and they will increase the price and increase the profits way beyond even your profits. So that's the key thing to realize that people can use their ability to create cyber security risks to damage your company. And yes, there are plenty of people who do this for fun and they don't really want to do anybody any bad thing, but they don't care, they don't think about it, they have this kind of fascination for technology and they want to show that they have their super skills and they can hack into this company, hack into that company and find out this and find out that. Unfortunately, after a while, they will notice that their skills are quite a lot of money worth. And that's the thing, often, if they are clever enough not to get caught, their skills pays out more than if somebody goes and works as a cybersecurity expert in industry. Now you might say, okay, so how much does a cybersecurity expert pay now? We have now a current trend in the market that you can expect that a cybersecurity expert can make an annual income of about 250,000. Yeah, that's, that's over 20,000 a month. No, I'm, I'm getting yeah, nearly, nearly 20,000 a month, which is quite a big chunk of money. And that's just the bottom. So if you are quite good at it, so if you're capable of hacking a system, very professional and very intelligent, you can make an income way 
beyond a million. You must imagine a million, a million pounds, dollars, euros, whatever. Yeah, it is crazy what you can make now because all the companies, whether they're small or huge, they are exposed to cybersecurity risks and the risks are growing bigger and bigger. And especially now in times when we see all these kind of conflicts, political conflicts, social conflicts, and so on, attackers are coming from all different directions with all different kind of motivations. Some are trying to um, attack somebody who's waging war. Others are trying to attack countries that are maybe uh, trying to damage the freedom of people. And then there are, of course, plenty of people who are trying to attack other countries who are maybe very liberal and they do not like for being liberal and sharing things and trying to, let's say, incite people to fight for their rights. And the freedom of press and all these different kinds of this. And that's a big problem because they then start attacking everyone in that country and it doesn't matter if you have a company with one person 100 people or a hundred thousand large enterprise it doesn't matter to them they might start with a small company and they see oh this works easy they hijack maybe even your company and then they continue to actually uh, steal all the information or hijack your company and hijack other small companies in order then to attack the medium-sized business. And once they've got the medium-sized business, they'll attack the large corporation. Why? Because, of course, they use the different entry points as bases to attack. Sometimes some attackers just simply go and try to extort money from these companies. Yeah. But their objective, especially those who are trying to sabotage, they want to sabotage the large companies, the critical infrastructure, whether it's our power stations, whether it's our public transport, electricity, heating, gas providers, oil, pipelines, and so on, banks as well, uh, critical infrastructure. Our internet providers, all these kind of companies, they try to attack credit card companies, insurance companies, all different kind of businesses that are somehow vital for our daily lives. And if they are out of service, many things don't work. And some of these organizations can, of course, lead to several other industries not working either, falling apart in a way that they cannot function. And we've seen that as well, even in areas where it's a part mixture between physical and virtual attacks. As an example, recently an attack happened on the fiber lines in two parts of Germany attacking and resulting in the inability of the German train service to have trains leaving train stations or even traveling on their lines due to the risk of accidents, because, of course, the infrastructure couldn't communicate, 
the train drivers couldn't communicate with headquarters and that and that would be a risk of trains driving into each other so that shows us you can disrupt a country in many different kind of ways you either attack their physical infrastructure or you attack their business infrastructure and and just imagine let's say somebody goes and attacks in one area 10,000 small businesses what does that cause? It means that in many cases, um, cities or districts cannot get the revenue that they need from companies because they maybe have a, let's say, local company tax or anything. And if these companies are losing money, they're not paying any tax or not enough. So the council cannot go and buy, uh, let's say, new books for kids. They cannot renovate the local swimming pool. They cannot go and, um, let's say, uh, put new flower beds, all kind of stuff, everything. Some things where you think, oh, it's minute, it's just a few, uh, few dollars that it costs, a few euros or whatever. But the reality is these local vicinities, local councils and that, they do quite a lot for their local people, but that costs money, and the money doesn't come from somewhere in the internet. It comes actually from businesses, taxpayers who are paying taxes, and that's why it is so important to, of course, not only support big companies or innovative companies, as well to support your local economy. And the local economy can there be the butcher the toy store around the corner, the little stationery shop that's selling newspapers, chocolates, chewing gum, little sweets and all kinds of stuff, or even some Christmas cards. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and those are the ones who are absolutely important and dedicative as well for the older generations, the people who cannot maybe go and buy stuff online, people who need to go into a shop and buy stuff because maybe even their eyesight is not good or the, they cannot handle certain things in that. And I'm not just saying about the buying newspapers. There's so many things you can get in these stationery shops. Uh, green groceries and so on. Nowadays they sell everything. You go in a shop and you find so many things. Now, okay, so we've understood there are all these risks out there and uh, they can do quite a lot of damage to our business. Now, Let's see, what can we do as first step against that? So the first thing is stop clicking on emails that you are not sure if they have any kind of uh, dangerous attachments. So it means even if you have a program that shows you the email and there's a link in the text, just move the mouse over the link. If you're not sure if that's good or not, and then you will see highlighted by either Windows or Mac or whatever, where that link is actually pointing, because it's not the text that you see in the email. It's a text that is displayed to you as a link, the true link. And that shows you if it's actually going to Lloyd's, TSP, Lloyd's Bank or uh, American Bank of America. Deutsche Bank, it shows you where it's going. And if it is not going to these companies, but going to some uh, strange website, 
somewhere else, then you notice, okay, I shouldn't click on that. Secondly, we're still with emails, don't click on attachments that you are not expecting, that you don't know. And there are lots of um, attachments that are usually hidden in a way like, for instance, um, your report dot dot EMG or other kind of stuff, and the crazy stuff. And they use that actually more or less to hide the obvious thing that these are Trojans, malware, all kind of dangerous files. And in many cases, computers are not usually best equipped to defend against these things. And there are plenty of Trojans and ransomware and so on that are very well designed and know how to actually uh, enter your computer computer and destroy your defenses so that they can actually take over, extort you, encrypt your data, or even steal the data and misuse your network. Hmm? So that's one basic thing. Second thing, you should always try to use in all different kinds of services that you use double authentication. So what is that? Double authentication also uh, displayed as FA2 or MFA. Companies use different kind of abbreviations for that. It is nothing else than when you log into a certain website that you are asked for a PIN code, a dynamic PIN code. And for that, you use either the Google Authenticator app, Microsoft Authenticator app, or for instance, some might have the Salesforce Authenticator app and so on. And what it does actually, it shows you a number and that number you enter. And within a few seconds, that number will change again. So nobody can, without that authenticator account of yours, cannot enter your account in that kind of service, whether it's uh, your bank or whether it's your, um, your online business, your online marketing software, your online shop, your website management tool, other kind of stuff. There's so many products that we use nowadays online, and that's the key thing. You have to use that. Even if you're using a online office, let's say Microsoft 365 or Google Suite and so on, you have to use these tools. Otherwise, people are going to hack your password. And the key, biggest difficulty for people usually is just memorizing passwords. So brains are not done to constantly memorize new passwords. And yes, IT people are used to memorizing lots of passwords and codes and so on. But the average person, the average user who's not an IT person, not practically drilled to do that, they are just not coping with that. They're writing them down. They're making them so easily guessable or using always the same everywhere. And yes... That's, of course, a problem. We become lazy, and when we put it everywhere, because, of course, then we open these accounts and different services and so on. So double authentication, M MFA or FA2, if you see that, use that, activate it, and you reduce already one risk entry point. Very simple, easy. doesn't cost you extra money. Most services offer that even... Um, Amazon Web Service has that, Amazon Light Service, Salesforce has it, all sorts of different, different companies have that. There's so many banks that use that now as well. 
it's much more reliable than having memorable passwords and so on and so on because it's just much safer. So that's one thing. So we've done emails, we've done websites or, or online services, how we log on and reduce the chance that somebody cracks our password and uses our password. And the next thing, of course, would be looking at um, what we have around us. So basic thing, have an antivirus, yes, but that's not going to protect you 100,000% because it can only handle what it knows and what it more or less understands. But smart hackers and especially state-driven attackers, they bypass all these things because they're very clever and they find ways to mitigate and to fool fire, firewalls and unfortunately as well antivirus programs. So, you have to have at least an antivirus program and look at how you protect your infrastructure. Find a firewall, a decent firewall. There are some firewalls that are very expensive, some that are very cheap. The very cheap won't help you really. Um, one ideal solution is, for instance, uh, PFSense. It's even open source, doesn't cost you. You can run it on any old computer even. It doesn't need much uh, resources. Of course, if you're the larger your company, of course, the more resources you'll need because there's more traffic. But a normal small business, even with 20 people, you won't need anything more than, um, yeah, Raspberry Pi, you could even run it on it, theoretically, yeah. But any small computer is totally enough. Yeah, you need, of course, a certain amount of memory. That's the key thing. That's where sometimes Raspberry Pi's have the issues. Um, but that's one thing. So PF Sense, open source, super. Simple, basic, quick solution. It's still better than your cheap firewall that you can buy somewhere on an online store, on Amazon or Alibaba and so on. The stuff from Alibaba I definitely wouldn't buy or you'll have problems really because uh, these things are at higher risk of being already open with backdoors. So what else can we do? Hmm. You look further around and think, hmm, my phone, what about my phone? Of course, if I get messages, I should check and see carefully. If I don't know who they come from and I don't trust them, don't click them, don't open them. Don't go and click on links that are shown. And the key thing is, we all have these news apps and that. And nowadays, they all, even though Apple has changed so much stuff and Google as well, they have lots of ads. And these apps don't really check who is actually running ads. They get them ads from facilitators, uh, syndicators, and so on. And some of them have ransomware. So if you click on the ad to look at something, while circling on it, the attack happens on your phone. There are different kind of ways to attack a phone. And even an iPhone 14, you can attack and infiltrate if you have the right tools. And that's the key thing. You'd think, well, but if somebody has the money to buy these expensive tools, they'll use them against politicians and big corporations. Why should they use it for some small company around the corner? The thing is, they use that because they find out what the big company is doing. You become their, watchdog is the wrong word, and let's say their little unwilling um, spy for them. Exactly. 
So you become like the webcam from them and they can find out what the other person is doing. And once you've got the phone, you have maybe connected with your Wi-Fi, they use that to attack your hardware, use internet access and so on, run uh, DODS attacks, all kind of stuff they can use your infrastructure. And when they've done that a thousand times, they have a huge amount of bots and so on they can use to attack organizations and break them down. Now, we've got those things. We have to, of course, look at what else do we have? We have our email, we have websites, phones, firewall, antivirus, and there are, of course, many more things. What's the biggest thing? Us sitting in front of the computer. We have to adapt our habits and we have to be willing to learn new tricks is the wrong word, but uh, new skills. And it doesn't mean that we're now all going to engage into a cybersecurity training. Uh, there are these trainings there, and I'm currently working on one of these myself, but honestly, that is not something that every business owner should do because 95% of your time, you should be working on your business. That's the same for me too. Certain things are part of my business and I have to know them. And I have to train my people and say, hey, you have to do this and this. And they ask me as well, why? So if you as a business owner understand actually the risks and the things that you can do, you can as well realize hmm, what's reasonable, what's not reasonable. And of course, you have to adapt all the time to see what's happening and try to adjust. And if necessary, shut down the website, fix the risks, the vulnerabilities and so on. Get somebody to help you and fix them before it actually hits you. And that's so important because even if you say, yeah, I'm IT expert, blah, 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 uh, it's happened to me, but I've got super, I've got even a WordPress firewall, like WordFence and that, which is as well something I would just suggest for your website. Um, that's not going to be a perfect 100% protection. It'll happen again to you. If they deface your website, they'll deface it again. They'll find some other kind of entry point. Yeah. But the key thing is we need to be aware of that and try to reduce all the kind of reasonable risk, use reasonable measures. Sometimes we'll have to buy hardware, sometimes we'll have to buy software licenses, services, and so on, just to at least get it manageable that we are not running around in circles all the day trying to fix this and not understanding. So those are the key things. In the next few episodes, I will be telling you a bit more about how we actually can use cybersecurity, marketing, sales, and so on, actually to increase our revenue. And it doesn't mean that you have to turn your business now into a cybersecurity uh, niche boutique agency. But I'm saying your business, whether you create software, whether you sell machines, you develop, let's say you build boats, yeah, sailing boats or whatever, doesn't matter. Even if you are in politics, there are several things, as you've just heard, you can do to protect your business. At the same time, several things you can do to use that investment in protecting your business 
two is will increase your opportunity in generating more revenue or getting more votes, getting more uh, party members, more club members, and so on. It doesn't matter what it is your business does or your objective in life. You can do things better, but the key thing should always be to see how can I improve not only my life, that of my employees, my business, my boss, and so on, but as well, how can I contribute in a positive way to this world and not being in a negative way by hacking systems, damaging, destroying people's livelihoods or stealing people's money. Yeah, there's so many scammers around there that are trying to attack old age pensioners and steal their money and sitting in data centers and so on and in call centers in certain countries. And that's, of course, bad because at the same time, it damages the reputation of those countries as well. People think, oh, if I'm getting a call with this call number, that must be now a scammer and so on and so on, and they don't pick up the number. The phone, I mean, and that's crazy because actually not every person in that country is a scammer. But that's the thing, the reputation becomes so bad that the people in that country even don't trust their own people in their country. And that's not good. It shouldn't be based on mistrust. It should be based on trust and trusting that everybody tries to do a positive contribution and not destroying this world, whether by bombs, by hacking or stealing or destroying other kind of stuff and so on. We need to be in a positive way in what we're doing. It is not diff not easy, and it is as well not totally difficult. Even every small contribution does count. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll be talking, as I said, in the next few episodes, about a combination of cybersecurity as well about neural networks. I'll be talking about that as well because it has as well an impact on businesses, not only just for how like autopilots and this kind of stuff that we always hear, like Tesla and that, but it has as well to do with cybersecurity, with marketing, sales. So much innovative technology can be used for different kinds of purposes. It's just understanding how we can use them and how we can find opportunities to increase our benefits in the future. <laughs>
The world is constantly changing in response to trends and events. As a business leader, you need to bypass the sandbanks that can hurt your performance. For those of you who are signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a few copies of my ultimate guide on content marketing and an ESG-compliant cheat sheet. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years and also got me contacts with police, transport authorities, military and several universities and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders as it got me many small, medium-sized enterprises and international clients around the world. The link to sign up to our free broadcasting service and the guide is at meetchrisbarch.com. That will give you access to the most recent versions of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me on Twitter by using the Twitter handle CapBarch. It's spelled C-A-P-B-A-R-T-S-C-H. Yes, that is C-A-P-Barch or spelled Charlie Alpha Papa Bravo Alpha Romeo Tango Sierra Charlie Hotel. Thank you.